G'day and thanks for joining us for another Australia Talks, the official podcast of the r slash Australian subreddit. I'm DK and I'm joined as always by my lovely co-host RD. Today is Tuesday the 18th of July and our topics this week are TikTok executive admits Australian users data has been accessed by employees in China. Dun, dun, dun. And Australia <laughs> is in the midst of battling a teacher shortage and we'll try and solve that for Prime Minister Albanese during this next hour. Of course, we have our two text town talk and then we'll jump into this week in Australian history with our deep and finish off, as always, with the Forex bottle top question. But before we get into all of that, we wanted to shout out some of the countries from around the world where our listeners are located. And this week, we wanted to say hello, Upper Kabar, to our listeners in Singapore. You'll have to forgive me. I didn't get much of a chance to brush up on my Malay uh, before we were recording, so I apologize for that uh, pronunciation. But I did. How are you today? How's your Malay? Hello, an upper kabar. I just learned that from you. I've got no idea whether that's right or or not. So uh, if we're right to our Singaporean listeners, um, we're happy about that. If we're not, uh, we'll have to beg forgiveness. Yeah, yeah look please like let the, us know. <laughs> please yeah, let yeah, us know. Yeah, exactly. And look, you can be you can be as 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 kind or rough on us as you you like. We got thick skins. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I've uh, I've had a, a bit of a week of travelling. Went up to uh, Sydney for a family function. I got got family up there. Went up for my uh, my mother's 80th birthday, which was a, a milestone. So uh, we were able to celebrate that uh, celebrate that up there with the the immediate family, and had a a very delicious meal at. Uh, Otto in Woolmaloo. So it was a bit of a, a special night. So it was a, a special restaurant, but nice views of the the city and looking past some, I'd reckon they might have paid more than four or five bucks for some of the boats down there. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, when you when you got when you've got an apartment and it's on Sydney Harbour and you're looking at the city. And uh, your your boat is bigger than some flats. Well, yeah, I, I figure you're uh, I figure you're doing all right. So yeah, that was a, that was a very nice environment. But it was all it was a it was a very relaxed environment as well. Sometimes um, if you go to restaurants like that, it can be a little bit uh, stultifying if it's uh, too too stiff. But no, it was all very casual. You know, the food was. Was was good. I had the the pork cutlet. They had the oysters. Uh, yeah, it was all nice and easy and and relaxed. Uh, and it was good to yeah good to catch up with the the family. So that was uh th- that was a good trip up there. So easy easy drive uh, up, easy drive back. We've got dual carriageway all the way now from uh, Melbourne to to Sydney. DK DK and I were having a bit of a chat about that uh, before we started and talking about how the dual carriageway might be a little bit boring, but uh, you get there faster, it's safer, you don't have to worry about overtaking uh, the you know, the trucks and the caravans. And look, 
you throw on some some music or Audible or uh, podcast or whatever you're into, and personally, I find it I find it pretty uh, pretty reasonable way to to travel. So yeah, look, that's 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 what's taken up my week. What about you? What have you been up to? I was just thinking to myself as you were telling us about autos. Uh, that's on the what we used to call the Blue Wharf, uh, if memory serves me right, which is right next to oh, from the, your navy. Da- yep, yep, yeah, from uh, HMAS Cuttable, right there. So um, I'm sure you would have seen some of the ships, ships and dock there. Uh, oh. I can tell you what when you were saying about those uh, some of those yachts that are parked down there. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what when you're slaving your guts out painting the side of a ship, and one of those goes past full of. Uh, you know, bikini-clad women and blokes drinking beers. It's um, yeah, it stings. Ah. It stings a lot. <laughs> oh, I bet it was because some of, some of them have got a lot of deck space for a few yes. bikini-clad women and blokes <laughs> drinking beers. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Bikini-clad men and women drinking beers. Whatever. Well, that's right. Depending that's right. on whatever floats their boat. Yeah. <laughs> it goes both ways, I guess. Yeah. It yeah. was uh, especially on a Friday afternoon. You see them leaving or coming oh. back in and. Yeah, that that has a particular sting to it, but hey. Actually, you just uh, you just said something that. And, and, sorry, I'm, I'll, I'll jump in just while I'm thinking about it, and as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Of course, it was, it's an incredibly obvious thing to say, but you guys were would literally paint the outside of the ship. Yes. Yeah. Constantly. Uh, depending depending on the routine, uh, you may just be doing a small section of it or uh, you may be doing, you know, huge sides of it. We'd have these pontoons that would come out so that, uh, like, it wouldn't necessarily, like, you know, these ships do go into dry dock and there is a dry dock, a very large dry dock facility at HMAS Cuttable. Uh, but you would, yeah, you'd, you'd be hanging over the side, uh, like lowered down on sort of like a gantry, uh, yeah. or you'd, you'd have these like floating pontoons that would come alongside, um, and you'd sort of build like a little bit of a scaffold on that. Um, but yeah, so we call it corrosion what, what control. Because what of would course, you paint them with like a, a, a brush, a spray thing, a roller, or what? what, what uh, was it? A, br- a brush mostly, um, oh, because the oh. the paint that we would use uh, it's it's called shipside grey. It's that every every country has their own kind of formula for it, um, but I, I think it's a sort of like epoxy based paint, um, and. Wow. I've been told subsequently that it apparently is extremely toxic. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, hmm. Uh, but, yeah, we, we would be painting. Yeah, we, we call it corrosion control because, of course, uh, ships are made out of steel. Steel and salt water don't uh, go too well together, quite famously don't like each other. Mm. Uh, so we would be constantly repainting, uh, chipping away paint, that hasn't adhered properly, priming it, like getting back to beer metal, priming it, repainting it and stuff like that. So, wow. Um, big job. And basically it's just part of like continuous maintenance. So depending on the routine of what the ship's doing, obviously there's maintenance periods and stuff like that. So sometimes you may see a ship that's been alongside for, for many, many months because mm-hmm. it's basically in one of those maintenance periods. Or of course it will, if it needs a real overhaul, it'll go into the dry dock uh, and then contractors will come in as well and they'll help uh sort of you know with with the man hours because you can imagine some of these really large ships um 
it, it's know. it's a sh- absolutely massive job to be doing. So yeah, oh, I wouldn't say it's sure. particularly fun. No, but, you know, I don't like painting. No, no. Um, It can be a little bit therapeutic in its own way, but yeah, generally speaking, it's pretty boring, especially when you've got like a whole week of painting that's kind of a bit soul soul sucking, Mm. especially when one of these multi-million dollar yachts drives past and they're all having a good party and stuff like that. So that that really sucks. So and that's that's where we were where I I interrupted you. You just you just said it, and I thought, oh, of, of course. So sorry. What have you been What have you been up to this week? Uh, I have been up to, do you know what? This last week has been a blur. I don't even know what's happened. Huh. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I had a, I got, okay. I got told a couple of years ago not to plant bamboo in my backyard. And I did. And I regret it. So if you're listening to this now, do not plant bamboo in your backyard. Because unless it's, unless it's clumping. Well, there's a very specific reason that I have got rid of it. And this was, I was warned about this because um, what I wanted was I wanted a screening plant that would grow reasonably quickly uh, yep. in a nice big clump that would sort of cut out some of the neighbors and, and there's a road behind my house. So it was sort of like shield us from that. And it was, it was really good and it worked really, really well for that. The downside is the specific species of bamboo that we have, and I believe a lot of them are like this, is they shed a lot of leaves. And it was just everywhere, constantly. We were fighting um, just leaves everywhere, all over the ground, all over everything. Um, and that was basically a nightmare to deal with. The other thing is they like a lot of water and of course it it's notoriously sunny in Queensland and we don't have a lot of water to go around. So the garden, the rest of my garden really suffered because the bamboo sort of sucked up any morsel of water that was coming. So um I have a couple of palm trees sort of beside it and it didn't they really didn't like the uh the the bamboo and it they've kind of suffered as a result of that. So um oh. So the bamboo had to go. So over this last week, I have chopped it down, chopped it up, put it on the trailer, taken it to the tip, and then uh, I had to dig out the stump. Because, of course, you can oh, poison it. Oh, no. yeah. As far as I know, there's three ways to get rid of the stump, which is I think it's called the rhizome because that really is the plant. The plant's actually underground, and the shoots that you see come up are kind of like the branches, if you like. Yeah, because um, it's grass. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a type of grass. So you really got to get rid of that big root ball um, because if you don't, it's got energy stored in it and it will just grow back. Uh, so you can poison it, um, but that potentially can poison the ground around it, which I don't want to do because I have other plants. Yeah. Um, you can leave it and every time it sprouts a new shoot, you just cut them off. Apparently that takes about two years until it's basically depleted energy and it is dead or you can dig it out um i don't have two years i don't want to poison the ground because i want to plant something something else in its spot which means i had to dig it out so for for four days i was digging this thing out um to be fair it was therapeutic in its own way uh because just you know i was using an axe and a mattock and Essentially, oh, hitting God. the ground as hard as you possibly can repeatedly definitely has a certain degree of therapy in it. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. 
uh, exhausting, absolutely exhausting. So I am glad it's been fairly cool over the last week. Um, but I finally got it all out yesterday uh, and uh, yesterday afternoon and it was, yeah. So I'm very glad it's gone, but now I need to plant something in its place. And I think, I think I'm going to plant some lily pillies, which I probably should have done the first time. Um, and that way I can, I can shape them into a nice hedge and they're not, not going to cause a huge mess, but, um, yeah, lily so you- pillies sound like a good, sound like a good choice. They can be shaped. I mean, re- remember once you do once you do a hedge, you've always got to look after the, the hedge. So there's maintenance there. I don't know whether that's a, a, an issue for you, but yeah, lily lily pillies up north uh, sound like a good idea. Yeah, look, I like lily pillies and the berries. Uh, I think we've mentioned this before, but the lilies of the lily pilly, the berries, sorry, of the lily pilly, um, are edible. Uh, well, different you varieties. Told me, you told me that. I learned that from you. Yeah, different varieties have different f- sort of flavors. They're all very floral. Most of them are quite bitter, if I'm honest. Um, but there's lots of things you can do with them. I've made like syrups and jams, um, or they can complement other things quite well. So, also they just kind of look nice. Also, and they're a native plant, so they are, yep. do attract you know pollinators and. Uh, uh, birds and things like that. So, I think the lily pillies is a win. The bamboo's out. I'm bloody glad it's done. I've learned my oh. lesson. And if you're listening to this, contemplating, should you plant bamboo in your yard? Uh, <laughs> probably the answer is no. <laughs> um, um, unless you don't like the mess that it's going to create. Uh, and I can tell you now, if you ever need to get rid of it, it is a nightmare. So, uh, you know, do it with caution. Ha. <laughs> Speaking of things uh, that you need to be cautious about, we're gonna we're gonna throw back to our episode of the twenty first of April. So not not that long ago, really. Uh, we're reviewing our discussion on TikTok because TikTok's ex- executive has admitted that Australian users' data has been accessed by employees in China. Australian user data was accessible is accessible to TikTok employees based in China on a very strict basis. The company's head of data security, Will Farrell, has said. I don't think it's the Will Farrell, the comedian, the US comedian. Are I imagine they are. Yeah, I imagine they're different people. Uh, oh, if they're not, God, I'm going to completely have to change my notes. Then you sure? <laughs> I, hope, I, hope, I hope they are different people um, it would be very funny if they were the same person <laughs> um, in their first public appearance before Australian members of parliament since the government joined Canada, the US and the UK and banning TikTok from government owned devices amid concerns about the company's connection to China TikTok executives were questioned at length by a parliamentary committee examining foreign interference on social media and the last time we spoke about this, it was about why it was banned. Should it be banned? Should other things be banned? It was sort of the question around the ban itself. Uh, and of course, as I always say, watch this space. And this space has moved. Uh, Liberal Senator and Chair of the Committee, James Patterson, who has led the opposition's push against the app, questioned how many times Australian user data had been accessed by TikTok staff based in China. Unfortunately, Farrell could not provide a number immediately, but admitted it did happen. 
Farrell said that there were a number of protections in place, including that employees could only get the minimum amount of access to data to do their job. And when they when they access that data, they need to provide a business justification that needs to be approved by their manager and the database owner within TikTok. If the data is being accessed across a national border, it also has to be approved by the global security team that's based in the US, which monitors all data access. He says... Employees can't get access without a clear justification and levels of approval. A similar security review would apply if an employee in China tried to change their recommended algorithm, he said. The company's local head of public policy, Ella Woods-Joyce, said China's 2017 national security law, which requires companies to give their government any personal data relevant to national security, would apply to a company that had operations and staff in China. When asked on what ground TikTok could refuse to comply with the law, Woods Joyce said TikTok had never been asked for personal data by the Chinese government and would refuse if asked, which is very curious. Um... I think we'll put a pit in that and we might come back to that. In October, TikTok's Australia and New Zealand Managing Managing Director, Lee Hunter, claimed in a Daily Telegraph opinion piece that reports about TikTok monitoring the specific location of American citizens was false. He said TikTok was never used to target any members of the U.S. government, activists, public figures or journalists, nor do we serve them in a content experience than other users. He said, uh, he said this at the time he was asked. Uh, it was revealed in December that employees had used the app to uh, attempt to identify the source of leak to journalists. Hunter told the committee that he stood by the sentiments expressed in the original article and that, and blamed quote unquote rogue employees <laughs> who had since been fired for the company for accessing the data. He said serious misconduct from these rogue employees had taken place. He said GPS location information was not collected in Australia. Patterson also took aim at another China-owned app, WeChat, which was asked to appear before the committee on multiple occasions but refused. The company said it had no presence in Australia. That's not true. And Patterson admitted this meant that the parliament could not compel the company to speak to the committee. Patterson indicated that the failure to appear would lead to adverse recommendations against the app in the committee's report. He said, compelling evidence has been put to the committee by witness by expert witnesses that WeChat engages in surveillance, censorship and foreign interference on its platform. WeChat has an estimated user base of 1 million people in Australia. It does not have an Australian presence and does not feel the need to even pretend to participate in the inquiries of the parliament. When he says, I think I just want to clarify, when he says Australia does not have, uh, it does not have an Australian presence, WeChat doesn't have an Australian presence, what he means is there is no WeChat offices formally in Australia. There is no... Uh, PTY Limited company that represents WeChat in Australia. Yeah, so the government's got no leverage. Exactly. So while they do literally have a presence, you can go to the App Store and download WeChat. They don't actually have any any employees, anything like that here within Australia. 
It is untenable for a company with such an influence on our diaspora communities to continue to operate with impunity and demonstrate a disregard for our government without consequences. Patterson said that if the recommendations of the committee were unfavorable to WeChat, and I quote, they'll have no one to blame but themselves. Hmm. WeChat said in a letter published by Patterson on Twitter that it would be responsive in writing to the committee and would answer any questions the committee has. Patterson said that the company was continuing to show contempt for parliament. Unlike TikTok, WeChat is not covered by a blanket restriction from the government, federal government devices, despite similar concerns over data collection and security on the app. I think the difference is that WeChat is primarily used, like, I've never actually used WeChat, but as, as far as I know, it's, it's sort of like a, a, there's no real equivalent in in the West, as far as I know. Imagine if... Uh, no, unless, unless Elon um, beefs up Twitter in a particular way. Yeah, which, who knows, he may do that. Uh, but it's basically sort of like a, a messaging service, a payment app, mm. uh, a little bit of a social network. It's kind of all combined into one thing. It's very, very popular in China and in other parts of Southeast Asia. Um, I would v- be yeah. very surprised, actually, if federal government employees actually had WeChat on their, on their phones because I feel like it's more of a – it comes sort of with the culture – of those countries as opposed to um well i suppose if you had a southeast asian and chinese uh culture you you may well be inclined to to have it uh, that's true it, to, to me we wechat seems like if you got um the intelligence community together and said what can we design that's going yeah. to give us the maximum amount of data possible on our our citizens they would have come out with something like wechat yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're – this is why um, – and I'm just going off the top of my head here, but I'm pretty sure WeChat was created by um, a company that's like heavily – billionaire hev- that was um, – was, wasn't it wasn't the we, that billionaire uh, that they uh, – that he yeah. uh, sort of mysteriously disappeared for – unknown reasons for a while and then came back and has decided that it was in his best interest not to really rock the boat? Yeah, I don't think that was WeChat. I'm pretty sure WeChat's owned by Tencent. Sorry, that was Alibaba. That's Ali, yeah, Alibaba, AliExpress and all that, yeah. I think they do, I think they have a similar sort of thing, but I'm pretty sure WeChat is owned by Tencent, which... um, is a huge company these days, and they have their fingers in a lot of pies, including uh, I think they have a stake in Reddit and a bunch of other social media platforms mm. and, and stuff like that. So, um, but what sort of bothers me is you're right. I don't, like while I think TikTok is probably more common to be downloaded onto federal government devices, WeChat definitely has a potential presence that could be right you're right we do and we do have uh ministers in that that are are of uh chinese descent we have a large chinese population in uh particularly in victoria um and and in the gold coast there's quite a large uh chinese population as well um so you know those people 
uh, we live in a uh, representative democracy, so those people get a vote. They vote for the person they decide uh, represents them the best, uh, and some of those people uh, may have WeChat on their phone, which could potentially be a security risk. So I think what wouldn't surprise me out of this uh, would be the fact that WeChat really clearly isn't interested in the process. Um, they're not even pretending. Uh, it was only when they were called out publicly that they sort of said, oh, no, we'll comply. Um, we'll comply in writing in letters. It's not quite the same um, as turning up in person. So no, I think... I wouldn't be surprised if WeChat was banned on another federal federal device ban for WeChat as well. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. From my it hasn't happened yet, but it may be the recommendations from from this federal inquiry. I think it's really, really interesting to me that Ella Woods Joyce, uh, who is the TikTok's local head of public policy, said that TikTok would refuse Chinese government um, inquiries to uh, users' information. Yeah, and look, I really, I think if you uh, believe that, I've also got a, a Three Gorges dam I can sell you real cheap. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what a exactly. load of crap that is. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, is, um, anyone, is anyone swallowing that? No, not at all. It, but the fact that she even said that was quite interesting. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe the head, the local head of public policy was changed because of some of the things they said during this inquiry. Um, because, you know, the Chinese government is not the sort of country that you say no to. They make you quietly disappear if, if that's the case. So I also think that it's quite funny that uh, Will Farrell said... Uh, he was talking about quote unquote rogue employees uh, that were doing. Oh, sorry, that wasn't that wasn't Will Farrell. That was um, uh, Lee Hunter, the Australian New Zealand managing director, uh, said that rogue employees ha had got their hands on data and stuff like that. Which, you know, again, it's kind of like. It, are they even telling the truth or if, are they just feeding us um, lies to put everyone's minds at ease? Um, Look, I think if really, DK, if, I, I think if you can't trust the intelligence community to be straight with you, uh, who, who can you trust? Mm. And if you can't trust the intelligence community of the Chinese Communist Party, I mean, it's a sad old world. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> God, I, I look, it just it just boggles me how much of this just gets just gets swallowed and put out there. I mean, if you got if you had surely surely there must be one bloody politician out there involved in this who is not so self interested that they're going to stand up and say. You've got to be freaking kidding me. No one believes you. 
We don't believe you. We don't even trust our own intelligence agencies. Why the hell would we entrust the, trust the intelligence agencies of the Chinese Communist Party? This is so clearly absolute bullshit. Let's take it from a point of uh, a, a view of honesty and then move on there. But instead, we're getting all this you know, bureaucratic fluff and, and polywaffle. No, you're exactly right. Um, oh, no, we didn't actually send the information to the Chinese intelligence services. It was yeah. rogue employees. <laughs> They've been fired since now. Um, oh. You know, they coincidentally, those employees <laughs> also got medals for what they'd done. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, yep. it's it's so on the nose. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, it's, 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 this whole thing is basically theatrical. But you know, and the reason we're talking about this now isn't isn't for the theatre of it all. It, it's just that it it's a really interesting topic that we were talking about last time. That mm. kind of a lot of damning information, things we were talking about last time. It turns out we were right. It, these things were genuinely happening, um, and Look, we're finding and that love, out. I'd now. love to claim. I'd love to claim some, you know, deep, you know, insight. However, I think it's fair enough to say there's a number of these things that were pretty reasonably easy to predict, given the uh, nature of the actors involved in it. Exactly. We're not, you know, neither neither you or I work in uh, in the intelligence services or anything like that. We're just uh, quote unquote average lay people. Um, and if we could see the writing was on the wall, it was pretty pretty bloody obvious uh that this sort of stuff was going on and, and of course it coming yep. out now really isn't isn't a surprise at all um no it's I, not and it does it does underscore i can't remember whether we mentioned this last time but it does underscore why it's a good idea if you can at least make a bit of an effort to uh use vpns uh, look at some ways to encrypt your data. Use things like uh, Proton Mail, such as we use here in the uh, uh, R slash Australian subreddit for our our contact. Uh, it doesn't guarantee anything. It just makes their life a little bit more more difficult. And the harder it is for them, the better it is for us. So it's 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 worthwhile looking at some of those some of those things but it's it's disturbing how predictable so much of this is yeah i think that's a that's a good summary of this basically it is deeply disturbing how obvious it was how uh and honestly it just it kind of really hurts <laughs> <You're> me. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it makes it makes me too. a little bit angry, you know, <laughs> that I'm like that these people, uh Will Farrell, Lee Hunter, uh that these guys are standing up and going, "Oh, no, we, you know, we didn't do that." And it just screams of that um sort of like uh you know, selling your soul to the devil for for yep. for money basically. Um 
this is almost like something out of an 80s, you know, like Robocop film or something like that, where it's just so obvious. You know what the plot's going to be before it's even started and you can see the bad guys from a mile away and all that kind of crap. It's it's very on the nose. Um, And this this whole thing from from start to finish from back back in April when uh, TikTok was officially banned um, to now, it's just... It blows my mind that this is real life sometimes and this is even happening. The theater yeah. of it all and just the wasting of everyone's time, quite frankly. Yep. Uh, 100% agreed. So. That's a mutual head shake. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I think we've wasted enough time on this. Tell oh. us what. Uh, definitely a segment that is not a waste of time. I think it's time for our Two Ticks Town Talk. All right, the uh, Two Tick Town Talk this week is in it is the town Yandamindura in WA. Uh, it's 865k east nor east northeast of Perth, 74k southeast of Leonora, which if you're imagining Australia, is about a third of the way up from the bottom of WA and about halfway across. So if you sort of think you know, a little bit north of that Kalgoorlie area, it's around there. Now, that's that's right in the outback, that is. Yep. Yep. Now, <laughs> you're not going to find a hell of a lot of people there because I picked this one because it's a ghost town. And I hey, thought it... Yeah, that's cool. I, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it'd be interesting to give you a bit of a, a glimpse into its its birth and, and death. Yeah, there's uh, a, a few abandoned towns around uh, Australia, but you don't tend to run into them as a matter of course. Uh, this one took my t- got my uh, my interest, so let's dive into it a little bit. So, Yandamindera. Also once known as the Greenwich is an abandoned town located between Leonora and Laverton in the Shire of Leonora in the Goldfields Esperance region of Western Australia. And there's a whole lot of uh, pastoral stations around it, uh, mostly growing sheep. Uh, the Goldfield warden at the time proposed the name Yandamindera, which he told the locals was the Aboriginal name for the area. but The meaning of the name is unknown, and the name was not popular. Uh, There was a local publication. I couldn't get the couldn't get the date of it, but I'm presuming it was soon after the announcement in 1901 of uh, what the town's name was going to be. uh, That dealt with this little bit of controversy over renaming uh, the Grenets which is what it was called, to Yandamindra. Uh, and this was in their local local uh, publication by Phil Garlick. Yandamindra, our new name for town's site in disfavour. Alteration possible. Employee to mine manager after severe thunder... Sorry, employee to mine manager after severe thunderstorm causing wreckage in our town. That was a stiff gale while it lasted. M.M., with a shrug of the shoulders, <laughs> what can you what can you expect when they name the place Yandamindra? Even the elements are offended. <laughs> so apparently, a few of the locals um, 
<laughs> Locals still didn't did, didn't go with Yonder Minra and uh, tried to stick with uh, the Granite uh, the Granites. So yeah, <laughs> that was a funny little uh, bit of uh, way that they expressed themselves in the the pub the publication. But yeah, even the elements are offended. Amused me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now in the Shire of Leonora, there's actually twelve abandoned and ghost towns around there. So I suppose. Wow. Uh, Yes, yes, that's what I thought too. Wow. So uh Yandamindra is is one of them. Uh I won't read the uh, well, let's, let's scoot quickly through. Agnew, let's see how good I am. Agnew, Yula Yula Mina, Gualia, Kathleen, Carajong, Lawless, Malcolm, Mertendale, Murren Murren, Vivian, and Wadara are also ghost towns. But yeah, the uh, birth and death of it. Gold was discovered in the area around eighty in late nineteen. Uh, sorry, late eighteen ninety-seven. Um, after gold at a nearby field of Pennyweight Point began to run out, uh, there were two prospectors, Wood and his nephew Damal D I M A L. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Hopefully, he won't come back and haunt me. They found gold near the Greenwich, <laughs> and a whole lot of prospectors and miners uh, came in and they said, look, a town site was necessary in 1901, and that's when they gazetted it and uh, gave it the name. They got the water from nearby wells and soaks, and coach service ran weekly from Kulgadi. Uh, to the town, and 1903, a coach ran twice a week to Murren Murren. Uh, by January 1903, and really that's not that long, you know, 1900, look, the, uh, Discovery 1897, uh, officially a town in 1901, and then 1903, the local progress committee were in discussion with the education department to appoint a teacher for the town, Sorry, for the district, as a result of the good number of children of school-going age about the town. So they got in a teacher, Sarah Ramsden, uh, in September that year. And it was interesting seeing uh, a picture on, uh, what was the site that I was at? Uh, Outbackfamilyhistory.com.au that does a bit of uh, concentration on the the WA gold fields. It was interesting seeing the... uh, the picture of the the teacher with all the kids all lined up and sort of thinking the old school photos pose has not changed in over a hundred nah, years. That's cool. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. You well, look, I, I don't, I don't have kids. What you, your kids? They still do they still do the class photos? That's still a thing. Yes, they absolutely do. We buy them every year. They cost a fortune. <laughs> they do, they really touch you up. I think they're like. Forty dollars or something wow. just for the for the for the yeah it does come like it's like laminated and it comes in a nice yeah. thing and all that but yeah they 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 bloody sting you for them you know and, and you have to buy that one and then oh, if you want individual yeah. photos they're slightly the the individual photos are quite affordable but you can't have just the individual photos you have to have you have to buy it like a bundle and that so ah. they sort of they know they <laughs> they know how to do it so. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's okay. So it, it still still does hold true that they're still the same sort of school photos. Yeah. Um, there was a mine there called the Potosi Mine, and that uh, that caught my attention 
because of uh, the where are a hundred workers over a hundred workers went on strike in 1904 when a reduction of wages was posted at the mine. Uh, the men were all mostly members of the then unregistered Australian Workers Union, with some being members of the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union. So that caught my attention because there's two very well-known um, union names in that. So, yeah, that is still very big, still around, very important. Bloody oath. Yeah, exactly. So the Potosi Gold Mining Company, uh, they later initiated a lockout case went before the local warden's court uh, and then in November of uh, 1904 the warden Mr Ewing found in favor of the workers and the company was fined 10 pounds and costs so I didn't uh, do the reverse of what the 10 pounds would would cost but it was interesting that that was an uh, an early win for the AWU and the the CFMEU yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there's another gold rush uh, when alluvial gold was was found uh, in 1904. They started putting in infrastructure, you know, batteries for processing the gold, um, and that was all developed. Uh, and then it felt like reading the story, it felt like one of those things, you know, things were going well, and then a heavy rainstorm in November 1910 wrecked several buildings and many small animals were killed by hailstones the size of pigeon eggs. Oh, wow. (laughs) That fell at the height of the the storm. 50 points of rain fell during the storm that swept in from the southwest and affected a strip about five miles, 8K wide. So, yeah, they got, first, it sounded like wow. the plagues just said, yeah, I know that's, that's big bloody hail, especially out there. Yeah, out, out there, like that's, yep. yeah, that's that's wild. What, while you've been saying that, I quickly looked it up. 10 pounds in 1903 in 2022 would cost $1,652. So not really that uh, much money. Uh, okay, so probably a, a, a symbolic thing just to get them uh, – get them back into work and say yeah you know pay up so slap a little slap on the wrist yep. yeah 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 a, a, a slap on the wrist pointing in the right direction um so then uh that was 1910 with the <laughs> pigeon eggs hail mm. uh uh 1910 also the the golden treasure mine ceased operations and the equipment uh was sold off uh, they said on the final day, 38 tons of ore were crushed with 111 ounces of gold being recovered, which is really not um, not too bad. That's, that's pretty bloody good, but yeah, obviously not um, economic. Not enough then. to keep it going. No, yeah. No. So uh, 1925, the, the old Greenwich Hotel started being used as a shearer's quarter, and then in 1936, the place became a, a ghost town. So, you know, from the discovery in 1897 and people hooting and hollering and um, that, it wasn't wasn't really a long it wasn't really a long stretch. But look, I, I suppose it was it was good for the time that it was there, and certainly that region um, has continued to service the gold. Injury, uh, injury, gold industry, and I thought too appropriately for a ghost town. I thought would finish off in the cemetery with some of the recorded deaths. Um, 
nice, <laughs> nice and cheery end. But I, 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 yeah, I, I just thought it, I thought it, I thought it was uh, thought it was interesting. There was Alfred Anderson who died in May 1903 at the Bolton Hotel of asthma and consumption. We had Madeline Clifford Cormack who died in December 1908 uh, of typhoid. Um, and we had, oops, let me grab my notes there. Uh, John Gordon, uh, 1901, died of pneumonia. Uh, John Mallory Hales, um, this was an interesting one, died of a wound in the throat, apparently self inflicted. I thought that was. Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was a, an interesting one. Uh, this is a, a, a word that I haven't heard. You often hear it in those those old uh, movies. Margaret Hill, uh, housewife from Yonder Minder at 46 years Cause of death, consumption. And well, consumption was the one that I heard. And I don't even know how to pronounce this, but I think it's pathisis. P-H-T-H-I-S-I-S. What's that? Phthisis? Phthisis? Not sh- I'm not Does- sure, but cons- consumption is tuberculosis. It's what oh, they it? used to call. Yeah, it's what they used to call tuberculosis. Ah. Um, which killed, like, a lot of people. I think it's actually probably killed more people. Oh, um, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, consumption was, yeah, there was. I don't know why they called it consumption uh, and not tuberculosis but maybe because tuberculosis is a much longer word i have no idea um, well i've always had that in my head as um being something like a a fainting couch but i'm completely wrong about that <laughs> yep 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 no it's um yeah it's tuberculosis oh. uh yeah nasty nasty uh Ooh. bacterial infection and uh, still around in certain parts of the world, uh, you can be vaccinated for it. But, of course, we don't do it here in Australia because we don't have any tuberculosis running around anymore, which is very, very good. Oh, thankfully. And the final, the final one, um, finish off with a, a little bit of a, a bang, was Jeremiah John Crowley, who died on 3rd of July, 1901. Far off Federation. I can't remember the exact date, but not around there. Cause explosion of dynamite dynamite by his own hand, according wow. to the verdict of the coroner. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's like I kept that one to last. I thought that was an interesting one. Is that written on his gravestone or something? Because that's kind of badass, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, this the uh the site that I got on that uh deals with these things, uh my understanding is these are basically taken from the actual um gravestone records so yep. uh yeah so i i'll qualify that i don't know if that's exactly written that way on the gravestone or whether the cemetery records record it i don't know the answer to that but no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> explosion of dynamite by his own hand that was uh that was interesting so i thought i'd finish on that because that's it's all part of the the cycle of of life and and death and I thought that was just an, an interesting glimpse into a period of time in the WA gold fields that uh, blossomed and then died away and most people never hear of. 
No, thank you. That thanks. That was great. Fantastic. Ghost towns, I think, are just. I think a lot of people have a great fascination with with the idea of, you know, a bustling little town basically being abandoned for whatever reason. And most of the time, it was because they were mining towns, and the mine yep. closed down, or or built around a single industry like that. Um, and then, and then, basically, you don't have a reason to stick around. Um, it's yeah. pretty unforgiving out in the outback. So, um, yeah, no, that's just it's so interesting. I, I would love to go and see yeah. a proper, a proper ghost town like that. Do you know? Are there many buildings that's what left? I thought. I, no, I don't know the. I don't know the answer to that. So, um, uh, and I couldn't. I couldn't see. I couldn't um, see any modern day pictures of it from what I um from what I had on there and I don't even know how you know g- given that um the, the the Shire of Leonora has you know 12 ghost towns I don't even know I don't even know how many ghost towns or abandoned towns there actually are in Australia I mean if, if someone out there knows like if that's one of your your things let us let us know but I was I was surprised at how many were in just one single shire yeah, that seems abnormally high, but that was, you know, that is in the gold fields of Western Australia. It does, you know, yeah. it sort of makes sense. Um, yeah, I always, I'd, I'd like to go to a a, a a ghost town, but you, you know, you sort of have this. Well, at least I do have this image in my mind of of actual buildings still standing and things oh. like that. You know, oh. um, if it's just. You know, nothing there. Uh, it's got a bit boring in it. You want to sort of find something cool, like some, an old bottle or huh. something like that. You know, um, to, to sort of give you a, a little peek into to what it was. But no, yeah. that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was interesting. It teaches us something about the uh, the the past. Yeah. Speaking of teaching things, uh, Australia is battling a teacher shortage. Turns out COVID-19 further exposed existing cracks in the teaching profession, which urgently need to be fixed. Teacher numbers and resourcing, unequal access and outcomes, and widespread student disillusionment, disengagement, and mental health issues are not new, but they have been blatantly exposed, exposed and exacerbated by the pandemic. So how can we respond now? Uh, how we respond now, I should say, will be crucial for the future generations. In the past few years of pandemic, interrupted schooling has really put an extreme pressure on all involved, including school leaders, administrators, teachers, staffs, and students and families. Teacher shortages have reached critical levels, not just here in Australia, but also in the United States, United Kingdom, Europe, and and in Africa. The supply and demand of teachers, particularly in in hard-to-staff locations, uh, continue to be an issue, and it was heightened over the pandemic due to the lack of effective policy solutions. The expectation on teachers' performance has also increased over time as schools increase their reliance on standardised tests. Teaching has become more time-consuming and more physically and emotionally demanding, while the pay and social rewards are often perceived as unsatisfactory. This has already contributing to teachers' intentions to leave the profession prior to COVID-19, according to some 2019 research on Australian teachers. So a couple of years out of date, but very relevant nonetheless. 
Yep. The federal government predicts there will be a shortfall of 4,000 high school teachers by 2025. If you're listening to this and you have children that are in school, that are heading into high school, you need to be aware of this. The federal government predicts that there will be a shortfall of 4,000 high school teachers in the next few years. That's huge. Statistics are showing that 50% of students, these are teaching students, fail to finish the teaching degree, while 20% of those who do graduate exit the profession within three years. Addressing the teacher shortfall really needs to be a priority. Teachers not only provide high-quality learning, they also are key figures of emotional support and social development in students' well-being. High-quality, dedicated, and caring teachers who have the time and resources to develop positive relationships and support high-quality learning make an immeasurable difference in a student's lives and in the communities that will thrive well into the future. Many teachers are struggling and are considering leaving. The Australian government has declared the teacher shortage an unprecedented challenge and developed a national teacher workforce action plan. The action plan builds on a range of initiatives already underway in jurisdictions, sectors, and in individual schools. It is the first step of an ongoing strategy to attract more people to the profession and retain more teachers in the workforce. The action plan includes actions across five priority areas. These priority areas address primary drivers of teacher shortages and include, number one, improving teacher supply. They need to increase the number of people choosing teaching as a career. Number two, strengthening initial teacher education. To ensure initial education supports teacher supply and delivers classroom-ready graduates. Number three, keeping the teachers that we have. Seems pretty obvious, uh, to improve retention by increasing support for those teachers, enhancing their career pathways, reducing unnecessary workload, and freeing up teachers to focus on the core teaching tasks and collaboration. Four, elevating the profession. To recognize the value teachers bring to students, communities, and the economy. And number five, better understanding future teacher workforce needs to improve the information available to teacher workforce planning. So that that last one is really for the government themselves. We don't want to be back in this position again, basically. So we need to monitor this stuff. The Australian federal government is investing $328 million to implement initiatives contained in the action plan, and the 2023 budget provided a further $9.3 million to the work already underway. But one big issue with the teaching degrees is the requirement of a six-week unpaid work placement. I think there's actually more than just six weeks, but I know towards the end there's one big one, which is the six-week. Yep. Sydney University Vice-Chancellor Mark Scott, who led the review, which was released uh, last Thursday, said uh, had considered 
uh, sorry, they also considered 115 submissions uh, for their review, which is a lot. A lot of people had a lot to say about this. Mm. Paid and employment-based pathways were contemplated as part of the initiatives to boost student recruitment in postgraduate teacher education. I think that's really important because if you've got someone that is working part-time or full-time and they yep. want to go to study and they're, they're working and they're studying at the same time, and then you say to that person, hey, I know you're studying part-time, but now you basically need to do a full-time job as part yep. of your study, that is very difficult for a lot of people to overcome, especially yeah, in this economy, especially in this economy. So new regulatory oversight and rules have also been outlined and universities will have two years to embed four quote-unquote core content areas in the teaching degrees or risk losing their accreditation. The four content uh, core content areas include brain and learning strategies to understand effective instructional tactics uh, effective literacy and numeracy teaching strategies, classroom management, and culturally and contextually responsive approaches to student needs. The core content areas include working with students with disability and those from different cultural backgrounds, such as First Nations peoples or migrants who speak English as an additional language. And a quality assurance board is being established to monitor the implementation of these things so mm. the government has a plan on paper at least initially those five things uh which are improving teacher supply strengthening initiating initial teacher education keeping the teachers that we have elevating the profession and better understanding the future of teacher workforce needs all sounds really good Yep, that sounds like a complete diagonal on the wink word bingo card it Definitely does. It's very so obviously made by <laughs> it's. It's so obvious a government incentive, right? Um, I, can't, I, can't, I, always, I always think of Utopia and look for our uh, international listeners. Have a look at the um, TV series Utopia. Produce. I think it's Working Dog produces it. Uh, yeah, I think so. And yeah. it's 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 disturbingly close to the. The truth. So, yeah. Look, I, I think the sentiment is fine, but God, you can just you can just imagine the 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 days of of, of self moving whiteboards and uh, furrowed brows over lunch and self congratulatory applause at the end of a meeting room session. Coming up with those five core values or whatever they were. Yeah. So anecdotally, um, my sister-in-law is a teacher. Uh, my wife is a teacher's aide. And, uh, you know, basically all my wife's friends are teachers uh, or, or in some way, you know, work in a school. They're, they're within education, basically. I always uh, um, became a teacher. I mean, look, I was, I was a, a rubbish student. Young, slack, and, slack young and foolish. Yeah, look, I, but, you know, I, I, I started, no, but there was no way I was going to be uh, doing any service to, to kids with my, my attitude. Uh, so, look, I have, I have a soft spot uh, there. And so I, I interrupt you. I'll let you finish that bit. I think 
part of this, the big thing is obviously money is always a problem, right? Mm. And we've said this before. You can fix any problem by throwing enough money at it. You can get anyone to basically do anything. Um, But it's not just about that. Um, Some schools, you know, a lot of private schools do pay reasonably well. Some teachers do get paid well if you, you know, depending on the state that you're in, there's, you know, government workers, there's certain guaranteed pay increases and things like that. If you've been a teacher for a long time, you can be on on a good salary, you know. Um, But the the day-to-day workload that they have and, quite frankly, the shit they have to put up with – it doesn't surprise me that a lot of the teachers that are, are basically are leaving. Um, student disillusionment is a really big one. Um, they're not necessarily willing to engage in the same way. A lot of respect has been lost for the profession, a lot, a lot of things like that. So I think elevating the profession is a really good one. Um, something I'm glad that that is, in fact, in their, their five-point plan because I feel like that really is – teachers are so important. And I think when people stop and reflect, I think they do agree with that. Um, you know, you can't like we saw uh, just before. Uh, can you I? Know? I'll throw a qualifier, a qualifier in there. Good teachers are so important. Yes. No, you're right. You need you need to have passionate teachers that want to do the job, that care about the kids, that you know have that certain degree of passion and, and themselves want to be there. And I think that comes with the the prestige of the job differently brings people into that as well. You know, we, yep. with a lot of young people, if they're looking, they go that, you know, you get, well, at least I did. We got a, like a like small phone book sized uh, book that had all the courses in it. And you could sit there. They probably don't do that anymore. You probably just jump online. Um, but you could sit there and you could sort of go through everything and find out what you want to do and what you want to be and things like that. And, you know, there are immediately some professions that people are really drawn to, uh, you know, that have this level of prestige, you know, working in finance, uh, being an accountant, being a doctor, um, you know, certain things like that, that that people are immediately drawn to. I don't see why teaching couldn't be the same. Yep. I feel like teachers are a huge and really core part of our community, and they need to be treated that way. You know, they need I, to be. I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree completely. I mean, I, I, I have my opinions about uh, about public education. I have my opinions about uh, ex- excessive union involvement, making it difficult to get rid of poor teachers, and yeah, you know, I also have my. Opinions about uh, things like you know the standardised tests coming in, and that that tends to corrupt the the market, and it tends to have unintended consequences. So I do have my um, my views on that. However, as a principle, good teachers are just so important to the development of community and society as a whole that. Whilst I wouldn't like to be burdened with how to to solve it, uh, it needs to be solved. It needs to be uh, a, a an exposure to the generation coming through because they are just instrumental in forming the the views and the mindset and the culture of the next generation. Yeah, and it's I mean it's interesting you say that about the next generation because. 
unfortunately, because of our previous government's lack of uh, understanding this problem, seeing this problem mm. for what it was. And look, I don't know if it was just a case of carelessness or if it was a case of deliberate, uh, uh, you know, malicious actions. Um, but they have ignored this problem uh, to the point where it's getting to the point where we literally don't have enough teachers. We don't have enough teachers for, for the, sh- the number of students that we have. What did you say? It was, oh, did, did you read that? Four, the 4,000 yeah. high school teachers high school by teachers. 2025. That's a lot of teacher shortage. Exactly. And, and you know, we're only talking in, in the next couple of years, and that's mm. not something that's going to be solved uh, particularly quickly. It takes, a, it takes you know, what is it, a four-year degree, I think, to become a teacher. So this isn't something that we're able to solve overnight. It doesn't matter how much money you throw at this problem. This problem's not going to yep. go away anytime soon. So... We basically have a group, a cohort of students that have been affected, of course, by the COVID-19 pandemic and the, and the ramifications of that, closing schools and all that kind of stuff, uh, which was very, very disruptive for these for these kids, and are now going into their final years, you know, they're in high school, uh, and they do not have the resources that they need. We've failed. This, the, the previous government has failed these kids effectively. Yep. Um and I think that's that's kind of how we need to spell this out if we're talking about politics here, because these kids aren't going to have the same opportunities uh, that some of their you know younger or older siblings uh, and their peers are going to have. And of course, you know those four thousand high school teachers are not equally dispersed across Australia. There's a lot of remote communities that are going to be affected by this even more than some of the inner city communities. Um, and you know that creates the divide between regional areas and 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 uh, urban areas even even bigger and things like that. So this is going to have huge ramifications uh, long term in our in our entire Australian community, not not just individual communities, but huge in- communities as well. Yeah, 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 and that's that is a, a cost that's difficult to quantify in a budget. But it is a really high value cost that uh, I don't think either side of politics can afford to ignore. No, exactly, and and long term, you know, yep. I'm f- it's uh, it is, and unfortunately, some of these kids might not be educated enough to see what's exactly happened here. Um, no, well, that's a that's a fair comment. I know I I, I yeah I could could hear the amusement in that because it is uh, in on one level it is uh, it is a funny thing to say they're not going to be you know aware enough to to understand what's happening. But you know, you put the the serious hat on, and that's a real problem because that's a, you that's ha- a huge problem. Yeah, it, because then you are, yeah, the bureaucrats are enough of a problem as it is. When you throw in a populace that is uh, decreasing in educational abilities, the bureaucrats bureaucrats become even more of a problem, and I think that be- starts to eventually. If it's not curbed, eventually becomes dangerous. Yeah, and unfortunately, it also can create a bit of a feedback loop as well. That's right. Um, that's ex- that's ex- that's exactly exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, so, look, I, as I said, I I 
I'm glad I'm not the one having to try and solve this. But uh, my opinion is in terms of a lot of the things that we're told we need to be super concerned about, um, some of them pale into comparison when compared to stuff such as who is teaching the next generation and uh, I won't get some of the controversial things that I think they're concentrating on too much on. It doesn't have enough attention. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is another one of those things that kind of just makes me angry because this is a problem that should have been foreseen and should have been yep. nipped in the bud before it became like this. And, is. you know, people jump up and scream and, oh, um, you know, oh, think of the kids and all of that kind of stuff. And the reality is the previous government uh, and, and this government uh, clearly have let this go on for a, a long enough period uh, that it's become it's basically a crisis level um yep. and that that actually makes me quite quite angry because it's just been neglected by i, I, I want to say you know definitely the previous government has a blame here i don't know how i don't know the specifics of this current government when it was in the opposition if they didn't uh make an effort to you know bring this to light or things like that so i don't want to say uh i don't want to talk too much shit about the current government because quite frankly i don't know but what we do know is they're trying to fix something now it's better late than never of course uh but ultimately there is a cohort of students that are already in the system that are going to pay for this problem and it's quite frankly probably not fair on them i don't think they're yep. the problem here um and I'm glad there's a, a five-step plan, uh, but, you know, as we like to say, watch this space moving forward. We're, huh. we're going to keep an eye on this. Um, I do have a couple of friends, a couple of good friends that are currently training to be teachers. Uh, so if they hear this podcast, shout out to them. Uh, and... Quite frankly, I when they told me I'm part of the problem because I was like, why the fuck are you doing that? <laughs> um, excuse my <laughs> French. <laughs> um, because I don't – it's not a job I would want to do because I I sort of know the outcomes and I understand that there's a big problem here and everything like that. So they're wanting to be part of the solution. Yep. And I take my hat off to that and I'm really pleased that they are because I think they'll both be really, really good teachers. But unfortunately um, – you know, I, I don't think I could be a teacher these days. My, like I said, my wife's a teacher aide. Um, I keep no. saying to her, why don't you upskill and become a teacher? Um, and she's like, no, <laughs> I don't want yep. to be a teacher because of all the things that we sort of talked about throughout this. Um, there's there's a lot of pressure. The pay's not quite good enough for what you're expected to do. Um, the Yeah, you get some nice breaks, which is very, very important for them because of the job is so emotionally taxing. Mm. Um, a lot of them have mental health issues because of the things that they see and they hear and that, you know, they're abused and sometimes physically attacked by students and things like that. Quite frankly, no one should have to work in an environment like that. If, the, if, this, if there were, you know, other – if this sort of stuff was going on in other industries, we'd have a bloody royal commission about it. So um, yep. I don't think – we can't blame the teachers. The people that have left teaching, we can't blame them either. Um, we need to basically rip, break the whole system down and start fresh. 
Well, quite quite possibly, and uh, whilst the, the the pay is a part of it, particularly as we just to go back to that thing about the um, the, the the six weeks unpaid leave and the importance of that, uh, money's always important. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it's you know, it's essential to it. It's not everything, and we get back to what people uh, value, and therefore what what teachers value, and uh, it's more than just money. Oftentimes, it's do I have the yeah, do I have the support of the parents? Do I have the support of the 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 school? Am I able to try doing things differently? Am I able to do things my myself? Am I able to spend some time with the kids that that need it? And how do you make that that happen? There's a lot of those things that are very satisfying to what is ultimately a vocational um, occupation, and those have real value as as well to people. And I'm I, I hope they address it in a broader sense and don't uh, don't get too narrow on just some of the the financial issues. Exactly. I think I think the financial issue is is. You know, it is a significant part of this problem, but it is not. It is not the way to fix this. You can't just throw money at this and be like, "Done." That's not going to be um, the outcome. Out of interest, while you were speaking, I just actually looked it up because I didn't know exactly how much a teacher would be paid uh, in the state of Queensland. Uh, and for teachers, starting salaries is uh, eighty. Sorry, seventy-eight thousand four hundred and ninety dollars. Which I know sounds like a lot of money, but when you consider they have a four-year degree, um, and they're working in a reasonably hostile environment for a lot of their time, my um, friend, I don't think that's enough money. I, I don't. I wouldn't do that job for eighty. Uh, sorry, seventy-eight thousand four hundred and ninety dollars. Um, it does go up as you, you become, you know, sort of more experienced, sure. um, but it's it sort of caps out at around one hundred and fifteen thousand uh, for most teachers. So, um, which is not, I know, probably to some of our foreign listeners that may sound like a huge amount of money, but as far as Australian wages go, that's actually not that high um, for for you know having holding a degree and and being in a job for for a number of years. So. Um, I think we could definitely. I would expect they could see a, a pay bump, um, but that's only part of the problem. the The problem's much bigger than that. And I think if you asked, if you spoke to a lot of teachers, I think the increase in salary would be nice. But that's probably not the one thing. You know, they, they've probably got other concerns, and that's not the biggest thing for them to exactly. to put up with you know it definitely takes the pain away it takes the sting out a little bit i think um like i say you can pay someone to do any job uh but at the end of the day they also need to have a certain degree of of you know like like mental health safety and and the resources available to them for that and 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 just a whole lot of other things so i think it's also worth pointing out as well a lot of teachers do spend their own money for certain supplies and things like that within their classrooms and stuff so that's also another issue whilst their salaries you know to some people may seem high i don't think that but um they are spending a lot of that money for for their own resources in this in their classrooms and things like that so um there's a lot you know there's again this is a really really complicated issue there's a lot that we could go into here but 
I think it's probably time that we talk about a history. So what's happened this week in Australian history? Well, this week in Australian history, we're covering the dates 13th of July to 19th of July. July 13th, 1945, Ben Chifley becomes the 16th Prime Minister of Australia. Uh, 1997, oh, God, I remember this one. A crowd of over 100,000 people watched the Royal Canberra Hospital implosion and uh, it was a 12-year-old girl, Katie Bender, killed instantly when debris from the site travelled across Lake Burley Griffin. I remember that just uh, was something that was going to be a big, exciting thing. And then unexpectedly, one of those bloody flukes, um, a bit of debris. Kilda was, yeah, I don't know whether you remember that. Um, I do not remember that. And now mm. I'm wondering how the hell did I not remember this? Um, yep. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, it was, yeah, well, I suppose 20, yeah, 26 years ago. Uh, July 14th in 1792, the Home Secretary authorises Governor Philip to make land grants to civil and military officers. 1792. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I, I, uh, I read that date in my head to myself as well. It was, uh, it was, it was interesting to read that. Uh, 1995 on July 14th, the Australian Aboriginal flag and the Torres Strait Islander flag are proclaimed as official flags of Australia. So that was 1995. 2001, British backpacker Peter Falconio disappears in the Australian outback and Bradley Murdoch is later found guilty of his, his murder. I, well, Thankfully, forgotten Murdoch's name, but I do remember um, Peter Falconio's name. Is that he's he's the one that um, uh, what's those horror movie? What's that horror movie? Isn't they yeah, that Wolf based Creek. on Wolf Creek? That's the one. That's oh, based on him, isn't it? I look. I don't look. I don't think so. I thought it was a different. I thought it was a different thing. But um, I'm going to say I don't know the answer to that because my understanding was the one that the Wolf Creek was based on was that there wasn't anybody actually charged and I thought there was a couple of people who disappeared with that. But I might be getting the fiction of Wolf yeah. Creek mixed oh, up with, with reality. Yeah, I think it's Bradley Murdoch and um, Ivan Malat kind of combined, you know, into a – a bit of a, a bit of a story, so yeah, yeah, that's a that's a combination you want running around, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're making a horror movie, it's yeah, perfect, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah, sure. Actually, that uh, oh, I can't remember that. I'm, I'm hopeless, I'm hopeless with uh, bloody actors' names. I need my, my wife to tell me. She's sort, she's sort of my uh, my my standby IMDb. I'll say, God, you know, who's that person? She'll say, remember that movie that about such and such that you liked? I said, yep. And she'll say, remember the woman who played that? I'll say, yep. And she said, well, she's the one that we're watching in that one. Oh, okay. I'm with you. So she, <laughs> she, can, she can dumb it down and translate it for for me. But uh, whoever the guy was that played the, the lead of um, the person in Wolf Creek, my understanding was he had a difficulty 
getting some roles after that because he'd done it so well that people saw him in that role. So uh, it, it became a bit difficult for people casting him to expect people to see him in a different character. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that they, I think they made a number of Walk Creeks too. I think they made a couple. So yeah, you yeah. definitely became sort of like typecast into that horrendous yes. yeah. typecast. Thank you. That's the that's the word I was after. July fifteenth, eighteen fifty one. Charles Latrobe is appointed as the first Lieutenant Governor of uh, Victoria. Lieutenant or Lieutenant? Lieutenant's correct, isn't it? Depends if they're in the army or navy. Oh, if they're if they're a, a if they're an army, they'll be called lieutenant. If they're in the navy, they'll be called lieutenant. I don't oh. know why, but yeah, oh. there you go. Nineteen twelve, the first branch first branch of the Commonwealth Bank opens. Nineteen forty, the Volunteer Defence Force, composed mainly of World War One veterans, was formed for home defence by the returned services. League. Uh, 1977, anti-drugs campaigner Donald McKay disappears near Griffith, presumed murdered. As far as I'm aware, that was never that was never solved. They sort of ex- ex- suspected some of the. Uh, I think there was yeah, rumours of mafia influence people around there, but uh, yeah, poor bugger. July 16th, 1914, uh, Maurice Guillot leaves Melbourne to fly to Sydney in a Bleriot monoplane in the first delivery of airmail. He arrived in Sydney on 18th of July after nine and a half hours of flying time. Yeah, yeah. 1962, public funding. Now, this... Lewis, call back to what we were talking about. 1962, on July 16, public funding of private schools becomes an issue following a strike by parents and the community who closed Catholic schools in Goulburn, New South Wales. Uh, July 17th, 1964, Donald Campbell set a record of 403 mile, 403.1 miles per hour for jet-propelled Four-wheeled vehicles, Class A on Lake Eyre. So um, that's like yeah. the land, basically the land speed record. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, he, he held it for. He beat his own record, I think, a few times. He was um, the 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 whole uh, going real fast, whether it's water or on land. There's there's only a few. It seems you see the same names repeatedly, sort of thing. Um, yep. And he's 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 one of these guys that's very famous, um, an Englishman, I believe. Yes, I, that that sounds that sounds that that rings a bell in my my memory. Uh, so yeah, yeah, didn't didn't mind didn't mind a bit of speed in there. It should be said as well for our international listeners that are thinking, hang on, a jet powered four wheeled vehicle on Lake Air. Lake Eyre oh, yes, is, good call. is a dry salt lake, essentially, most of the time. It does fill up with water um, 
fairly regularly, uh, but it also completely dries out in between. So um, it's a big deal when it starts filling up. And there is a Lake Air Sailing Club uh, that does nothing and nothing for many years on end until the water comes back and then they get back to it. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, good, good qualification. Uh, July 18th. Uh, 1983, the first death attributable to AIDS occurred in Australia. Uh, in 1984, the, Ni- the National Crime Authority is established. And into the home straight, July 19th, in 1915, Albert Jacker becomes the first Australian to win the Victoria Cross during the First World War. So, 1915. 1916, the Battle of Fromel, Fromel's the first battle on the Western Front involving Australians. Uh, the Australian 5th Division suffered, suffered 5,533 casualties in one night. Now, you've already used a bit of a profanity, but fuck me dead. 5,533. God. It's insane. The First World War is just insane. It truly is. It's absolute madness. Yeah. That's, yep. That's just ridiculous numbers. Uh, 1940, the Australian cruiser HMAS Sydney takes part in the sinking of the Italian cruiser Bartolomeo Coglione. Yeah, out in the Mediterranean Sea. The HMAS Sydney did. Caused the uh, the Italian Navy uh, a, a very big headache. Ah. It was it was pretty rascally. Uh, was getting out there doing a lot of causing a lot of mischief, as we like to say. Um, and I think the Italians were probably very pleased to see it uh, head back to Australia for the defence of Australia once oh. you know, Japan entered the war and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Uh, 1946 on July 19th, uh, Orange, New South Wales, is proclaimed a city, and it's been going great strides the last couple of, of decades. 1958, the last tram service runs in Perth, Western Australia, and the final one, uh, July 19th, 1987, which is probably going to be, given your age, to um, too long ago for you to get this clue, but can you see what it was the final episode of a program on the ABC and see if you can see if this rings a bell. No, that, no. I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> you didn't pick my tone death thing. <laughs> Countdown. So Countdown. the final episode of the music uh, program. I, now you've said that. I know. I, I, I watch, um, I've watched the British version of Countdown a few times oh, yeah. and actually, I there is a version of Countdown called um, is it nine out of ten cats or something like that? Oh yes, um, yeah, with uh, Jimmy um, Carr. Yes, um, yeah, and um, does Countdown, and I love that show. It's so funny. I lose my mind at that show. There's one of my uh, eight out of ten cats does Countdown. Sorry. Yeah, very fun. I actually didn't know that Australia had its own version of Countdown. There you go. Wow, but you would have heard of Molly Meldrum. Yes. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, so yeah, he, look, he started yeah. on Countdown, did he? 
Yes, yeah, he, he was the host. He was, yeah, he well, yeah, yeah. countdown. Well, countdown was Molly Meldrum. You know, he ah, was. Um, yeah, he just. Ah, there's probably a lot of um, a lot of people rolling their graves saying, "Oh my God, how did?" But you know, age, yeah. <laughs> yeah, time time moves on. No, yeah, <laughs> Meldrum. Um, yeah, really, that was his his vehicle, and he was instrumental in build in bringing a lot of uh, overseas acts to the attention of Australian people, but he was also in- incredibly important to promoting Australian uh, acts of the, the time. Yeah, there's a lot of um, Australian acts that, that owe their, their starts or owe their uh, bump in attention to, to Molly Meldrum. So, yeah. He was, was definitely a- one of those bigger, larger-than-life yep. uh, sort of TV personas. Um, so, yeah, very yeah. charismatic kind of dude. He did a bit of everything, really. Yep, bloody yeah. So that uh, that rounds out the uh, this week in Australian history. So, not sure if you're getting a bit dry after uh, here, listening to all that. Definitely, I think it might be time for a beer. And by that, we mean the Forex Bottle Top Question, the segment of the show where we ask each other a little bit of Australian trivia, generally from the Forex Gold Bottle Top underside. But tonight I actually had a Guinness, so uh, hmm. I have two, though. But uh, The first one's a bit of an easy one. Uh, I think you'll get that. The second one, I don't know. So... Uh, what is the national gemstone of Australia? And we are by far the world's largest producer of them. Has to be opal, doesn't it? Ding, 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 ding. It yeah. is definitely opal. That's a given. Now, this one might stump you a little bit. I'll give you a hint, though. Oh, no, don't give, don't give me a hint till you've heard. Throw the question in. I'll throw the question out. And then, <laughs> how many kangaroos are estimated to live in Australia? Ooh. Uh, would, you, would you like a hint? I can give you no, three No, no, options. no. Let me, let, no? Me have a, let me have a guess Guess first because if I, if I ask it, it'll be impressive. Um, how many kangaroos in Australia? I would estimate that it would well i'd estimate it's between it's somewhere between 50 and 75 so i'm going to say 64 million oh bit high bit high ah a bit high okay um all right a bit high if you said that then i'm going to go for 32 Oh, that is so close. It's 34 million. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, 34 million kangaroos. There's a lot of kangaroos. Um, There's a lot. Doesn't matter how you cut that. That's a lot of kangaroos. It's more more kangaroos than people in Australia. Um, And. Good way to remember it. Yep. Which is impressive considering uh, the. I would say, like, a lot of Australia is is so uh, arid to sustain kangaroos. 
Um, so they're all in these sort of pockets of green, uh, mostly where we live, where the people live. So um, there's a lot of them out there. Uh, there's a lot of them killed every year by by cars and things like that as well, but it hasn't put a dent in the numbers. There are 34 million of them, and they are delicious. They um, are. Look, I don't, I don't mind a bit of rue. Cooked, um, yeah. cooked, cooked rare. I can't even remember what it was we had on the the R slash Australian subreddit. Someone was, oh, it might have even been the R slash Arson Australian, just to do a, a cross a cross shout out to another one of our another one of the the, the subs that we like. Um, that someone was talking about uh, ruse, and there was a little bit of a, a back and forth about how. <sighs> You know, how tough the meat could be, but the bottom line is if you cook it right, to me it's as good as uh, a bit of beef I fill it. Definitely. It's very lean meat. Yep. Uh, basically no fat on a kangaroo. That's why when you see pictures of them, they look like they're absolutely, uh, to oh, use the ripped. term, yeah. to use the term the kids say, yeah, ripped. Uh, they th- because they got nothing on them. They're they're a cow that hops basically, um, <laughs> but cows yeah. get fat somehow. But kangaroos <laughs> don't. I guess hopping is uses a lot more energy. Um, so they're very lean meat, and as a result, you know their their meat is a bit gamey, and it doesn't have that sort of marbling that beef and that has. So you do have oh. to treat it a bit differently, but you can cook it, and it's absolutely phenomenal if you know what you're doing. So, um, yeah. That's yeah. making me hungry. I, know, I, just, I had a little bit of a salivate then thinking about that. <laughs> so uh, on that, I think it's it's time to go get some dinner. So thank you so much for joining us for another Australia Talks, the official podcast of the r slash Australian subreddit. If you have any feedback or suggestions for topics, please get in touch with us on the r slash Australian subreddit or email us at Australian subreddit at proton.me. We'd also be really grateful if you could subscribe and give us an honest review wherever you can as it helps us out immensely. Otherwise, join us next week for another episode of Australia Talks. And remember, at r slash Australian, we are Australian. Good night. Sad, okay. Bye. Bye.